Micro Queers. It's your weekly roundup of queer horror shorts, and I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're going into religion this week with Dean Puckett's The Sermon. Yeah, I thought you might like this one, and it seemed like good programming considering that we're already talking about a old British film. I actually did really enjoy this one. It's really funny, the aesthetic of it, and I don't know if um, our listeners are going to know this film, because I don't, I don't think it's gotten a wide release yet, or maybe it has, but um, it it was reminding me of that movie The Other Lamb that we saw at Fantastic Fest last year. Oh, right, yeah, that's out on VOD. Okay, there you go. Um, but that's a movie that I know you loved a lot, and I was not fully won over by it. And granted, that's not really a queer story, but no. the aesthetic reminded me a lot of that. And so I, re- but story wise, this this the sermon short, um, yeah, loved it. I'm always wary going into a queer story, be it a short film, a piece of literature, or a TV show, or whatever, that deals with religion, because I'm like, well, this isn't going to end well, is it? And um. I was really... (laughs) Spoiler, it doesn't, except it ends badly for the people who are perpetrating hatred. Yes, and so I was quite won over by this, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. So I'm glad that you picked this, because, oh, listeners, spoiler alert, Joe picks all these. (laughs) Of course I do. (laughs) Yeah, so if folks haven't had a chance to watch it, your very brief logline for this film is A Young Woman's Secret Rocks an Isolated Church Community in the Spoke Horror Tale basically tells you nothing <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's basically like a lesbian in an undisclosed time period yes purposely undisclosed yeah two lesbians are basically like well one well whatever we'll talk about it if you haven't seen it the link to the video is in our show notes as usual or if you for some reason can't find that you can go check our social media channels Right. So I think one of the important things, and you kind of cued it right off the top, is that this is a film that has a very distinctive look and feel to it. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously by design, you know, like, yeah, it, it didn't just happen to turn out looking like this, <laughs> shockingly <laughs> enough. Um, but it should be noted that this is, I think, the first short that we've covered that was shot on 35 millimeter film. I think you're right. Um, but yeah, I definitely noticed it. it's it's it still looks good, but it's missing that like sheen that you see in digital photography. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why he picked it, because he wanted it to have a bit of that aged feel to it, right? Mm-hmm. So I did manage to find an interview with Puckett, and he deliberately references the the unholy trinity of folk horror that came out of British cinema in the late 70s. So basically, you've got your Wicker Man. I'm going to say Wicker Man. <laughs> yeah. Blood on Satan's Claw and the Witchfinder General. And of course, these are all about uh, social anxieties from the late 60s, early 70s. It's a... Uh... I think the description of it as a folk horror tale works best because you can also even go into something modern like 2015's The Witch, you know, that was like very much kind of in the same, trying to accomplish the same thing just with a different story. Very Um, much so, yeah. Although I guess you really could call it similar trajectories because it's very much about like a young woman like coming to Finding her power. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Basically saying, fuck all y'all and getting out of there. (laughs) Right. 
Well, I think one of the things that really struck me about this film is it's a very simple story. Like there's almost no dialogue apart from the sermon that is being delivered and this is playing over imagery. But it also means that because there's no dialogue, like conventional dialogue, we're not getting any shot reverse shot. So the shots are more interesting and varied in that way because we don't have to like focus on people's faces unless you want to focus on people's faces. Right. And that's true. And it's also uh, it's. It's a conflicting emotional experience to watch all this with the sermon because, I mean, I did watch this twice because the first time I watched this, I was paying more attention to what was being said than I was as to what was transpiring on screen. I mean, obviously, I I could ascertain what was happening on screen because I could sure. see it, but I wasn't, like, l- like looking at it with a fine-tooth comb. Whereas the verbiage in the sermon was just really striking a chord with me because mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, again, you as a queer person, when you hear... God cannot love them as they are. Oof. It's really upsetting. And it just, yep. it, I never had anyone tell me like in my church, like, oh, you're going to hell because I never like brought it up in church and stuff. Right. But like I, I when I was doing like Catholic children's education, aka CCE for short, I remember being told, yeah, homosexuality is a sin. Masturbation's a sin. Like you will go to hell if you do these things. And it always brings to my mind, like, that whole thing of like what it means to be a Christian and what it means to love. And that statement of God will not love you as you are is such like an, that's not Christianity to me. Like, mm. cause the Holy Christianity is like, God loves you no matter what. I mean, in Catholicism specifically, it's like, you know, you ask for forgiveness and you're good, which is, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you can have your own thoughts on that. Sure. Um, but I was enraptured with the sermon itself. Um, and it wasn't until my second viewing that I really kind of paid attention to the shots that you're speaking of. Yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously a very specific choice that Puckett is making. And and I think it's also really important to acknowledge that this is a very recent short, like almost all the shorts that we've covered have been from about the last five years. And I don't think that that's insignificant either. But um, this is very specifically coming in the like it's basically a response to brexit and donald trump like that's Mm -hmm. when this short was made and puckett has gone on record as saying that it's all about this idea that we're in a time where all of a sudden people are looking to the past like oh well how can we get the uk and how can we get the us back to these great time periods where basically it just means how can we bring it back to a time when heterosexual white men were in charge and they were, you know, the dominant force? Like, how do we right. get rid of these woke people, the people of color, and the gays? You know, the abominations. Like, the word abomination is literally said in the first 30 seconds of this short. Oh, and, and that that's a word that if you were a queer person growing up in a religious, as, uh, religious environment in any shape, way, or form, you have heard that word multiple times. Yeah. And even just like it, it's right down into things like, I mean, I think we're supposed to look at this as, oh, it's removed from time, it's removed from a specific geographical location. But there's certain things like where they're throwing the tomatoes at the older queer woman that feels very much like, oh, this is a witch hunt. This is, you know, like it's playing on this verbiage that has become commonplace nowadays. But I think that is intent- like having the sense of timelessness is essential because it's basically mm-hmm. saying that these values that this thing that's happening is universal and it's still happening today albeit in different forms like we're not tying uh lesbians up to posts and throwing things at them but uh, it's still well, if you're trans they're fucking doing it all the time yeah yes 
and so, but that's the thing, like, you know, you don't need a time period because it is always happening and still happening. Yeah. One of the other aesthetic choices that I really liked, and I recognized it visually, but I didn't process it until I read this interview with him. And it's that the costume design specifically around the lead boy. So the other boy that's standing on the other side of the main girl's father up on the stage. uh, He's deliberately styled like haircut clothing to resemble Nazi youth. Oh, I could see that. I could totally see. And it's funny because when I when, when the short started, I thought they were supposed to be like love interests together. Because again, I, mm. I forgot it was a queer horror short. <laughs> oh, I 100% think that he looks at her as like his future bride. And that's why he only goes after the older woman. And that's why he gives her the tomato when she joins the crowd. What do we think about the pairing of an older woman with a young woman? I like it. I actually think that it's very reflective of some fairly mainstream lesbian relationships that we see. But I I love this idea that because so often when we've considered lesbian texts, it's often women who are the same age and or women who are very attractive. And I'm not saying that this older woman isn't attractive. Like we barely get to see her before she's covered in fruit and yeah. blood. But I like this idea that like one of the things that's unorthodox about their romantic relationship is that, oh, this can't be a good fit because it's, you know, May, December. It's like, no, like love doesn't know boundaries such as age in that way. And it doesn't know boundaries as in gender. Well, and to be fair, we don't know the age of the young girl. We don't know if she's a minor or not, but it just, it reminded me of all the complaints uh, lobbied against Call Me By Your Name by the queer community of people that are like, okay, well, you have this like this older man like basically committing statutory rape against a 17 year old boy which i think in that movie though it was like not an issue because it was they the aged yeah they aged up the characters in the movie compared to the book well he's um elio is still 17 in the movie though yeah but i think in the book what's his face is supposed to be older nevertheless though people yeah. still had an issue with it was a 24 year old man seducing quote i'm sorry you can look at it that way if you want but like falling in love with a 17 year old boy <laughs> right but I'm on your side here, and you know we're not giving enough information to like really like go into like the specifics of the age group and whatever. But of course, the reveal of their sex scene is paired with um, oh, the tender age at which the homosexuals prefer their conquest, because that's always what we're told, right? We indoctrinate the gay agenda. We're, we're bringing people in and turning them gay. Yeah, because <laughs> that's a fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I was watching this, like, I mean, there's there's a lot of emotions that I had watching this about a variety of different aspects of queer life. So I'm curious, what did you think of the shadowy black figure who lurks on the periphery and then we see is very deliberately, I don't know, caressing? Is that the right word? When the young girl makes her decision to poison the entire congregation? Yeah, so initially it appeared before she threw the tomato at her lover Mm -hmm. and i thought it was maybe her internalized homophobia that was like personified in this cloaked figure okay and egging her on but then of course when the end of the short comes and yeah she like gets her fucking revenge which bravo standing ovation hand clap for you girl yeah i I was thrown so i'm like maybe in in the the fruit throwing scene it's she's like leaving her it's her desire. It's leaving her, her 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 identity that is dark. That's like which is her queer identity. She's leaving it behind because it doesn't come up with her um, to throw the fruit. Right? She just walks by it. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And she does that. But then it's when she reclaims her identity 
that it gets closer to her and maybe even becomes more of a part of her. Interesting. I read it as uh, the kind of like darkness that lives inside people. So it seems to gather around incidents involving like hatred and murder and the Mm -hmm. kind of darker impulses. So it's... I think it's a bit of a condemnation on the decision that she's made where like, did she need to kill every adult in this right. village? And the answer is maybe not. But <laughs> I can't say, yeah, like I was 100% with you. The first time I saw this, it was playing at the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. It was part of their their queer shorts program Mm. and i just remember when i got to that part because i was just like you i thought it was gonna end really badly i thought she was actually gonna murder her older lover which is like a hundred percent what you're supposed to think but i loved this idea that it was just gay wrath and gay revenge it was like yeah Yeah. fuck all of these people who cares if you shouldn't have killed them just kill them all and you'll have people of course that are like well you shouldn't do that because you're becoming just as bad as they are and to that i say whatever fuck that I'm sorry. It's it's a revenge short. Like that's what this yeah. is. And watching her slit that guy's throat who was doing oh, the so um, satisfying. <laughs> he was doing a virgin therapy to the older lesbian, and uh-huh. it, it's so upsetting. And so to watch her slit his throat, yeah, again, totally satisfying. And then we just get the credits playing over them running away together. I love the ending. I love them just <laughs> like yep, hack a bag. We're getting the fuck out of here. We're gonna go to some place and just start fresh. Love it. Yeah, love. I it. agree. Um. So on that note, then, would you watch a feature-length version of this? I think so. I'm really taken with the look and the kind of timelessness of the short. I just think it's exceptionally well shot, well edited, well costumed. Um, I think the only thing that I would be hesitant about with a longer version of this is that I do think the decision to not have dialogue is super powerful. And you would obviously have to get rid of that you would have to have dialogue in a feature-length film i agree but you could have moments that are like the ones in this short sans dialogue but yeah you would have to have dialogue to fill in the gaps a little bit more and flesh Mm -hmm. out your characters like we obviously get enough of an idea of who all these characters are in this 10 minute short alone but you can do you you can easily stretch this out now it's gonna be a slower burn like the other lamb yeah or the witch i think you were right on point when you said that for sure uh, but I think you can easily make this more of like, I mean, yeah, this like kind of character study uh, and a period-ish piece. I-, I would keep it timeless, though. I like that idea because mm-hmm. honestly, the other lamb was kind of like that, too, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it helps when you basically move people into a commune or yeah. <laughs> like just surround them with nature. It's like, exactly. Hmm, where's that? Exactly. <laughs> so I think it, I, I think it's something that could absolutely be done and I would 100% be down to watch it. But yeah, I, I really, really, really enjoyed this. And uh, listeners, I hope y'all did too. So uh, yeah, let us know what y'all thought. Reach out to us on the socials. But uh, on that note, I think we can cross out the sermon. Yes. And cross out micro queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com/slash podcasts.